the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing what the Bible says about humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Today we'll be talking about chastity. If I were to uh, title this sermon something other than chastity, it would probably be a quote from Lord of the Rings. It would probably be, fly you fools. So, and you'll see why as we, uh, as we read this text of scripture. Let's give our attention now to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who's joined to a prostitute becomes one with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The Bible is able to speak to every time and every place for a few main reasons. The first one is that the Bible was written by God, and God is immortal and invisible and is the only wise God. He knows all things and understands all things. And as the author of this amazing book, he's able to take a a human author who's writing into a specific time and place and, and inspire the words by the Holy Spirit so that they not only can illuminate one particular context, but be relevant for us today. The Bible's an amazing book. God wrote a book. It's amazing. And it's why it can speak to all times, all places, all cultures. The other reason that the Bible can speak to all times and all places is there's nothing new under the sun. Sure, we've invented new and different tools. We have new and different tools that are a part of our, you know, American culture that we live in right now, but there are not different people. 
Paul wouldn't have given advice specifically related to the technologies or fashions of our time. Paul wouldn't have given advice about how to best handle your iPhone or how often would be best to change your air filter in your furnace or whether keto is better than vegan or if it's permissible to wear white after Memorial Day until Labor Day. He wouldn't have said anything like that because the Bible has no need to speak to particularities of fashion or technology in our age. Fashions change, technology ebbs and flows, but human nature is the same. And many Americans pride themselves in being, quite, uh, being a part of quite a progressive country that's always getting better and better and better. And there can be this sense in the political world that change is always towards something that is better and genuinely different. And particularly in the area of sex and sexuality and identity, we believe that we're creating new categories that are heretofore unknown and we're doing something genuinely never done before. But that's nonsense. Ecclesiastes 1 says it best, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a new thing of which it said, see, this is new? It's been already in the ages before us. It's all been done before. And as it relates to sexual expression, that's most certainly True, Corinth, in the time that the Bible was written, was very much like the United States of America today or the Western world today. Corinth was very much like the most sexually promiscuous or permissible places in the Western world today. Free love wasn't an invention of the 60s and 70s. It was present in Corinth in the actual 60s and the actual 70s, not the 1960s and 1970s, the 60s and the 70s. It was present there in the zeros. It was present there in the B.C. times. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. In fact, there was a crude joke that would be made among immature men at this particular time that to defile a young woman or a virgin would be to Corinthianize her, to Corinthianize her. The slogans of Corinth would have been things like, you do you, do what feels good, love wins. These would have been mottos of the Corinthian society at the time of Paul writing this book. And so it makes sense that when Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he spends so much time talking about sexual holiness, talking about marriage, talking about real, genuine love, the kind of love that comes from God and the Holy Spirit of God. Just before this passage that we've read here in 1 Corinthians 6, just before this passage, he has this glorious brief refrain about the sins that used to characterize the members of the Corinthian church, but how they have been washed, how they've been sanctified, how they've been justified, how they've been set free from the sins that used to characterize them. Now he calls them to live chaste lives, to live lives in accordance with the demands of chastity. Now chastity is a word that's often misunderstood. The Oxford Dictionary gets it close, but misses it. And you can tell with this definition here. The Oxford Dictionary says that chastity is the state or practice of refraining from extramarital or especially all sexual intercourse. Now that's half right, but it's totally wrong in terms of scriptural definition. Chastity is not refraining from all sexual intercourse. all sexual interaction, all sexual intercourse, it's refraining from all of it outside of marriage, just after this passage is complete. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about sex, and he talks about how wives and husbands need to be having sex with each other. And in fact, to keep that from your spouse, to keep yourself from giving yourself to your spouse is wrong once married. 
Christians, according to Paul, should be having frequent and mutually pleasurable sex within the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman. So the problem for Paul, the problem for God, and the problem for us is not sex, but is sexual immorality. And the solution is not refraining from sex, but is refraining from sexual immorality. And sexual immorality was a problem for the Corinthian church because it was the issue in Corinth, the big issue that characterized Corinth. And this passage begins with Paul debating some of the members of the Corinthian church. And you can see, if you have your Bible still open, there are quotations around things that he's saying. He's giving you some of the arguments of some of the Corinthian Christians. And he's responding to them. He's responding with biblical truth. And so let's, let's start diving into the passage here. We're going to see that argument. And then we're going to see the implications of all of that. So verses 12 to 13 give us an argument from the Corinthians and give us Paul's response. So let me read those verses again. Verses 12 and 13. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, let me try to simplify this a little bit more. What the argument is and the response is, is essentially this. The Corinthians say to Paul, and he's quoting back to them, I have the right to do everything. And Paul says, sure, but not everything is beneficial. And the Corinthians respond back to Paul, and he quotes this, I have the right to do everything. And he responds, but I'm I'm not going to be mastered by anything. And then they quote to him, food for the stomach and the stomach for the food. And Paul responds with, sure, but the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The body is not meant for sexual immorality like the stomach is meant for food. Notice the way that the argument works out. Paul doesn't disagree with the Corinthians at any point. He doesn't challenge the premise. He just corrects it biblically and redirects it into the fullness of the biblical witness of the witness of the Holy Spirit. Paul agrees that the Corinthians have the right to do anything, but he notes that not everything is beneficial. And he notes that some things that you or I do might begin to master us or enslave us. So wisdom dictates that we shouldn't do them. Paul, like I mentioned just before, has just described in beautiful terms that they've been set free from a life of disobedience, including but not limited to sexual disobedience. And now they're trying to say, yeah, but that sex stuff, that's legal. So I've got the right to do it. That sex stuff is legal, so I've got the right to do it. And Paul says, sure, you've got the legal right, but not everything that's legal is beneficial. Not everything that you can do should you do. Some things that you can do might master you. Or as the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You were saved for holiness. You were saved for freedom. One of the things I don't understand is why we Christians who have been set free from sin and death, once we've been set free, try to get as close to that sin that used to characterize us without crossing some sort of line. It's not the way of the Christian life. It's not to be set free from sin and then to inch closer and closer back to that sin that used to characterize us. It's not to make excuses for the sins that used to characterize us. It's to be free, genuinely free. 
When I was in college, I met up with a friend of mine who I had become friends with at work in high school, and uh, he had become a Christian in my first year of college, and he wanted to talk to me about that because he knew that I was a Christian. And as we sat down and ate together, he said, I feel like God has saved me twice. He redeemed me. I knew I was a Christian, but I didn't want to give up my old lifestyle. I didn't want to give up my old friends. And so he said, I went back to that lifestyle of partying and, and hooking up and then God had to pull me out of that and realize that real freedom is not found in being saved but acting like I acted before I was saved but being genuinely, totally saved and free from those things that used to characterize me. That's the problem for the Corinthian church. They're like, we've been saved and now there's all this stuff, Paul, that's legal. I mean, I can, I can still do that stuff legally. I can do whatever I want. And he said, yeah, 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 but that stuff is going to master you. That stuff is going to destroy you. And in fact, you've been set free so that you could walk away from that stuff. It's not so that you could walk back towards that stuff. And yet, what the Corinthian church is doing here is what the church in every age is tempted to do. Sure, I've been set free from that stuff, but I mean, is it all that bad? Can I start walking back towards it? I mean, I, I'm allowed to do it. It's legal. Who are you to tell me I can't? And the words of Paul to the Corinthians should correct us. It might be permissible, but it sure ain't beneficial. It might be legal, but it sure will destroy you. And then the Corinthians make this age-old argument that you might have heard made in your own life. They compare sex to food. Now, this happens a fair bit, right? They, they quote, he quotes back to them their argument. Sex is just a natural appetite, they're arguing. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. They're using that sort of illustration to say, hey, we've got these natural appetites. Why not just enjoy these natural appetites? I'm guessing you've heard that sort of argument before. I have when I was in high school working at the Olive Garden and was made fun of on a regular basis for being unwilling to have sex until marriage. Until, until those people that were making fun of me were one-on-one with me, then they would ask me questions about it and be like, man, that's pretty cool. I wish I had done that. I wish I had thought of that. It's like, well, I didn't, I didn't think of it, but you know, I'm trying to live out what God thought of. One of the things that one of the bartenders used to always tell me is he's like, you got to eat, man can't believe you haven't had sex yet. You got to eat. You're going to starve, man. He was indicating that he thought that I would die if I didn't engage my sexual appetite. Though he didn't know it, he was making a Corinthian argument. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Paul's response here is brilliant. The body was made for food, sure, but the body wasn't made for sexual immorality. It was made for God and God was made for the body. He's saying what you eat is a matter of wisdom. Who you sleep with is a matter of godliness and obedience. You can eat whatever you want. It all resides within the realm of wisdom. Now, overindulgence in any food can take you to gluttony, but the the fact of just eating food, you can eat whatever you want. What you eat or don't eat is is a part of the realm of wisdom, but he's saying, now, now sex is not the same sort of appetite. Your body, your stomach was made to consume and digest and enjoy any manner of food, and you can enjoy all of it. Your body was not made for sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is against the body, whereas food of any type, any sort, man, it's, it's, it's free game. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, 
Visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. Sex is an entirely different appetite from food because sex has a power that is greater than food has a power. Now, food is, is necessary for you to continue living. If you stop eating, you are going to die, and in that way, you need to keep eating. If you stop having sex, you will not die. It's not an appetite that will kill you, but it has a unique power that's distinct from food to make two people one. When God made sex, he made it in this incredible way to bring together a man and a woman in marriage. He made it powerful and potent, this unitive thing that joins together husband and wife. It's why sex should be used often in marriage, that married people should have sex a lot because it's this good uniting thing that happens. But when it's taken outside of the marriage bonds, it becomes this destructive thing, again, because of its incredible power. Now, maybe I've used this illustration with all of you before. I do it every time I, I do marriage counseling. But, but sex is like fire in a lot of ways. When you have fire in the right place, it's beautiful. It's healing. It's something that can make your food better, that can unlock nutrients you know, that, that wouldn't have been there if you hadn't used heat to, to heat up your, your food. If it's in the hearth, it's beautiful. It's, if it's in the stove, it's it's effective and efficient, but when it's in the living room, all of a sudden you have a huge problem. I have a friend who had this beautiful mountain home, and Aubrey and I got to go there on a few occasions. Every time we went there, I mean, just an extraordinary retreat in the mountains of in the mountains of Tennessee, the Smoky Mountains, and his family used it as a place for them to go and, and to be refreshed. It had a massive great room, and, it, and connected to that massive great room, there was a massive porch, which you could sit on and look out at a pond that was a part of the property, and between that porch and the massive great room was a huge fireplace, really majestic, beautiful, a great place to go. And we would keep a fire going in there. The, the smell was great of the, the smoke. It gave everything a mountain, Tennessee sort of feel. And, and just to be able to sit and look at the fire was something that was comforting and beautiful. His sister was staying there once along with her husband. And they decided that they were going to go for a walk. And uh, in preparation of going for the walk, they were concerned because there were still some glowing embers or coals in the fireplace. And they... Didn't think that, uh, that that was safe. And so um, what the husband did was something that was very unwise. He collected all those coals. He put them in a tin bucket. And then he placed that bucket on the front porch. He took the coals out from where they belonged and put them in a place they didn't belong. They went for a walk. And as they were walking back to the cabin, they saw flames that were above the trees, trees that are about 70 feet tall, just devouring the whole area. And as they walked up, the whole mountain home, the whole cabin was destroyed. And all of it because coals, because fire was taken from where it belonged and put in a place where it did not belong. This is what's true about sex. It's not that sex is bad. Sex is good. It's a wonderful, created good. 
It's when that sex is taken from where it belongs and placed where it is not supposed to be that it becomes destructive because it's so powerful. Sex has this unitive aspect of bringing people together. And what Paul tells us here in the scriptures is that when you or when I became a Christian, we were joined to Christ Jesus. We started to have union, we started to have union with Christ. And he says emphatically, there's, there's an exclamation point in the passage. He says, you should never, ever, never take yourself who has been united to Christ and then unite yourself to a prostitute. Then give yourself over in, in sexually immoral behavior. Because to do so is to unite this member of Christ with someone that you should not be sleeping with. This is very serious because of the power of sex. Because of how good it is in the right place. And because of how destructive it is when removed from the right place and placed where it should not be. Given that power of sex, and then given the seriousness of sexual immorality, then the scriptures give to the Corinthians and give to us a command. Flee. Verse 18 says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So he's laid out, he's laid out how potent sex is and how sexual immorality is wrong for the Christian. Now it's something that should never, never be engaged in by the Christian. And then he gives the command, so run away from it, flee from it. Because of the potency of sex, you and I and the Corinthian church and the church in Orland Park in 2021 are given the same command, run away from it. Don't try to stand up to it. Don't try to fight it. Run away from it. Just like those two people who were coming back from their walk to see their cabin engulfed in flame, fire is too great an opponent for them to run in and try to put out a flaming blaze all by their own. They needed to run away from it and find the right person to put out the fire, to bring in, to bring in air support to dump in water from above, but it'd be foolish to try to run towards that and think, you know what? I'm strong enough. I'm cool enough. I'm going to put it out by my own presence, or I'm not going to be overcome by the fire. No, you run away. If you're in a building building that's burning, you don't stay and try to just pat it down in your own strength. You get out of there or you're going to die. And so he says, run. He says, flee from it. One of the principles that can be hard for us, but it's very important, is that you and I, and I say this in love, you and I are weaker than we imagine. You and I are weaker than we imagine. That doesn't in any way diminish the incredible glory and goodness with which God has made each of us, but we are weaker than we would imagine. And so instead of saying we're going to be okay, Or we're just going to hold on real tight. Or that's going to impact other people, but not us. We can stay. We can stay here. we got to run. 
In the book, The Fellowship of the Ring, the fellowship is walking through the mines of Moria, and they wonder why it is that this dwarven civilization that had been built there had, had abandoned it. They had found something when they were digging, something of incredible power and great evil. And as the fellowship walks through the mines of Moria, they awaken that great evil. It's a Balrog. Balrogs were flaming beings in Tolkien's epic that fought with a molten sword and a whip of fire, extraordinarily powerful, with a name meaning demon of might in Elvish. Balrogs could destroy almost any foe. When Gandalf encounters one in Moria, the presence of which destroyed the entire civilization of dwarves, he tells the company to flee, saying, fly. This is a foe beyond any of you. He realizes that because the opponent is so great, the response is not to try to defeat it in one's own strength, but to run from it. And that's what the text tells us to do today. Flee sexual immorality. Run away from it. Can I gently and humbly plead with all of us today to flee from it, to run away from it? God has power over sexual immorality because God was able to raise up Christ Jesus by his power and God will raise us up from the dead as well. God has power to redeem us from sexual immorality because God sends the Holy Spirit of God. The scriptures say that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And part of why sexual immorality is so dangerous is that that's where the Spirit of God should dwell. That's not where we should be committing immoral acts. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook answering seven hard questions that Christians ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us. And until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.